Hey, this is Dan Persons, and you may notice that there's a reference to Valentine's Day in this show. Yes, the show was recorded that long ago, and it's taken this long to get it up. But it is here now, and there will be more shows coming up. Stay tuned for that, and enjoy this episode. We have a few questions for the people who made Patch Town. So, um... Let me just get this straight. My long-standing fear of dolls coming to life is totally justified. <laughs> <laughs> if babies spring from cabbages, how do they get there in the first place? Ew. <laughs> how many showers did you have to take to cleanse your soul after making this film? <laughs> Can you show me on the dolly where your uncle touched you? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Those questions and many more may or may not be answered on this episode of Temple of Bad. Welcome to the Temple of Bad, the show where we talk about movies so awful, they're practically a religious experience. I'm Dan Persons. I'm Andrea Lipinski. I'm Kevin Lauderdale. And I think I'm Arenthal Hawkins. <laughs> and remember that the films we talk about on Temple of Bad are available for you to watch on Netflix Instant View, and we suggest you do because this year... Flowers and a candlelight dinner are just not going to cut it for Valentine's Day. Nothing by halves, after all. Baby, the sky's the limit tonight. We're watching Brainiac. No. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, actually, well, that was an earlier show. Tonight, uh, we are talking about Patchtown, which is, uh, which was my choice. Um, the reasons I picked this, well, there, there, there were a couple of reasons I picked it. The, the films that we've been doing have been sort of fairly obvious, um, in their badness. You know, like you, you, you can look at King Kong and you can look at, uh, the Brainiac and stuff like that and go, those, you know, Clear, clearly those are bad films. And I thought, you know, we were sort of ready for like maybe a, an advanced class, something more of a challenge. And this film intrigued me for a number of reasons. So that's why I thought we would, uh, we would do Patch Town. Um, so in any case, uh, that's what we're doing. We're doing Patch Town. Um, there is a trailer for the film, and since uh, since I wanted to give you a little bit of taste of what this is about, let's run the trailer. Now, let me point out that despite what you hear in the trailer, this film is actually a musical. You won't know it from the uh, from the trailer itself, but it is. But let's listen to the trailer for Patch Town right now. I'm having these dreams. There's this girl... She picks me up, and she tells me she loves me. It's all so crazy. Who is she? She's your mother. Welcome to Batch Enterprise, the nation's leading toy manufacturer. Batch Enterprise has produced some of today's most popular children's toys. With each new toy, a little girl's dream came true. I will always love and you. And the nightmare for us began. 
again. Mary, we're leaving tonight! What are you talking about? This is how it is, John. How it's always been. Where is he? He's your mother, right? I just found out. You aren't arranging to meet her, are you? If I was, could you help? Don't blame me when you get rejected again. If you do, don't say anything to these cops. How do I know you? Well, I come from a place where we're turned into dolls. And we're adopted by little girls. He's crazy. <laughs> Hello, my little pumpkin. Please call the police right away. Fly, I need you. You should have thought of that before you agreed to help your mother. You're right, but they're in trouble because of me. This one my way. Agreed? Of course, anything you say. I hate to be late for our impending demise. All this power, Ken. I wish there was someone to share it with. I'll share it. Okay, the plot of this is somewhat involved, so I am going to try to sum it up as best I can. Guys, um, if I don't emerge in three days, you better send in the search party, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, okay, so this is the story of John, who's played in the film by Rob Ramsey. Um, he's a guy who slaves away at the doll harvesting line of Patch Enterprises and who himself looks like a Cabbage Patch doll all grown up. As for that matter, do all his co-workers. Um, there's a reason for that. Turns out, um, as I mentioned, dolls are not made... They're harvested, hacked from the centers of cabbages as actual living babies, frozen, and shipped by stork to happy little girls all over the world. And when the girls outgrow their playthings, the dolls are stolen back and returned to the factory to slave the rest of their days, hacking living babies from the center of cabbages, which are then frozen and sent to happy little girls all over the world until they're abandoned and stolen back to the factory where they become slave labor who hack living babies from the center of cabbages, which are then frozen and sent to... You get the idea. Paging Dr. Mobius. In any case... John and his wife, Mary, who's uh, played by Stephanie Pizzolatus, have their own unfrozen Cabbage Patch baby, which is uh, actually a corporate no-no. They don't like the workers absconding with the merchandise, so to speak. So um, uh, John and Mary escape from the gulag-like Patch Town to travel to the big city to live in peace and also to find John's quote-unquote mother, the girl who took care of John when he was just a dolly. And she's now all grown up and has her own daughter. But that could land John's surrogate family in a heap of trouble since they're now targeted by the evil overseer of Patch Town, Yuri, who's actually the son of the man who invented the baby freezing machine and who now wants to expand the patch 
product line with a new series of adolescent dollies. And, oh, Jesus, fuck, is this convoluted. Uh, <laughs> okay, and uh, you know what? I haven't even gotten to the Indian truckers slash coyote slash landlords slash Santa's elf uh, and the re-education machine and the creepy guys and the bow ties and uh, the uh, the cameo by Scott Thompson. Um, that's all in there. But uh, ha- have I summed it up enough? Did I miss anything? Well, uh, let's let's, be, let's make one thing perfectly clear. This isn't that twist of the film. They are frozen in time. Mm-hmm. Not actually frozen, like yeah, they, they, snow they, or they, anything. They keep saying frozen, but yeah, well, I, 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 I get your point. I get your point. So also, Yuri's father develops the machine because he discovers the children in the patch. Just one day he hears crying from the cabbage patch. He finds a child. He starts taking them in, and he wants to take care of them as his own children, but there's too, they're too much for him. So he decides, instead of caring for them or putting them up for adoption with other families or anything that would make sense, I will freeze them. In because, time. In time. So that that is the way I will show affection, by preserving my children as frozen dollies. <laughs> Yeah, we 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 got to talk a little bit about the backstory. We will get back into that, but let's start this way. You know, Andrea, as as I said, you know, bad films, bad films that we've been talking about of late have been pretty obvious as bad uh, bad films. This film, Patch Town, is a more complicated situation. I mean, I, I mean, you know, with the other films, you can tell they're bad. With this film. You can pretty much tell that a hell of a lot of effort was put into this. You know, there are easier ways to make a buck than trying to do a Tim Burton knockoff, which is actually what they're trying to do here. Um, given the li- limited budget that they've got, they do do pretty well. The look is good. The songs uh, are at the very least okay, sometimes better than okay. Um, Rob Ramsey in particular has a lovely singing voice. Uh, and actually, the concept I thought initially has promise. It's it's really not unlike something Burton would would toy with. Um, and you know, I, I had seen it the first time, and I I had initially said um, when I at, at, at watching the beginning of the film, I, I you know I was pretty much with it. And actually, this time, watching around the the second time, I get into the first half hour of it thinking, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. Um, But then the flaws do begin accumulating. You know, it's very obvious they're trying to do the Burton beats without necessarily knowing how those beats get motivated um you know th- th- you know they, they they have the stuff like here's where the self-interested character has the change of heart here's where the hero learns to treasure what he's got as opposed to seeking the unattainable all of that except that they don't really earn the uh they they don't really build up to earning th- those dramatic beats, uh, and and the way I, I knew basically that you know they they were just sort of 
mechanically knocking this off is midway through the film um, John and Mary get to sing a duet they're actually in separate places but they sing a duet uh, together through split screen and I am willing to bet that that particular song everybody said this is going to be the one that we're going to submit for the best song Oscar because it sounds exactly like the type of song that runs as the best song Oscar, you know. So there's there's a lot to respect about this, and you know, I would actually, you know, if I if I knew um, the director Craig Goodwill was doing another film, I'd actually watch it again because at least you know, from a production standpoint, there is a lot to say. Uh, in its favor, but it for me it really does feel like uh, a, 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 a film that Tim Burton abandoned. It was like you know I, I I tried my damnedest to make this thing work. It just never came together, and somehow this got out there. Um, how how did it work for you, Andrea? Um, this is definitely one of the. The strangest and I guess hardest to quantify movies mm. that we have discussed on this podcast. It's kind of, to me, not good enough to be good, but not bad <laughs> enough to be enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So, and it was, I had a real sort of sense of dichotomy. On the one hand, the film felt kind of professional, but on the other hand, it kind of felt like a student film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, I mean, I was sort of trying to sum up – I'll usually come up with like a way to say, okay, this movie that we're watching is like this meets this. But there was so much going on here that this meets this became um, Eraser Head meets <laughs> Cabbage Patch Dolls meets Grimm's Fairy Tales meets Brazil <laughs> meets a musical – Meets that time that I drank too much NyQuil by mistake. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like every once in a while, it was sometimes funny, but it was always creepy, quirky. So it was a very strange film for me to watch. Like, I never laughed or smiled during this movie. (laughs) I just stared at it, mostly in bewilderment. Um, And the... The use of musical numbers I found very confusing. It was like – it felt like there weren't enough musical numbers for me to call this movie a musical. But there would be enough musical numbers that I would periodically say, wait, why are people singing all of a sudden? (laughs) So it was was a little – you know, I was was very bewildered. It was – I mean on the plus side, it was very atmospheric. And there was great use of some really good character actors here. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was just mostly confounded. <laughs> and that's not usually what happens when I watch movies for this podcast. I go, wow, this is awesome, or wow, that's so bad that it's awesome. <laughs> and this um, time around, I was just staring in, in bewilderment. You, you, you know what? You, you make me feel like my, I, I've accomplished my mission, Andrea. If your mission was to bewilder me, then yes. <laughs> Bingo. Was this, was this all a, a big, elaborate episode of Confuse-A-Cat? <laughs> I wanted to throw you all a curve. I will admit that. I wanted – you know, I, 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 I feel you guys can handle it. So, you know, 
I, 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 I wanted to try something a little different. There, I, I laughed one time with this film. There is a moment, there's another character in this named Sly, uh, who's played by Suresh John, who's this Indian guy who is the coyote, and he's also a land... We'll, we'll get into that a little later. But at one point, he's being interrogated by the police. He's been arrested and is being interrogated by the police and he's in the interrogation room and he's sobbing his eyes out and one of the uh, police officers puts a tissue down in front of him and he just like stares at it for a beat and then stuffs it in his mouth and eats it and that that worked for me and then um kevin how did the film work for you yeah, ordinarily I like musicals. I like Lost <laughs> Horizon, the musical. Uh, this, oh, you're too far gone. <laughs> this is um, this is not the movie to show your friends who are confused by musicals. Because like, <laughs> the rest of us understand, oh, people are bursting into song to explain their history or to forward the plot. That, I guess, happens in this movie, but this is one of the – like Andrew has watched it's like, why are they singing all of a sudden? I didn't get that this was – supposed to be musical i'm a i was like this hand i have like three hands i'll just briefly go over each of them on one hand on the other hand on one hand this movie is weird and disturbing like the babies are being yeah torn from the cabbages alive it's like something out of alien they're like oh this is gross i don't want to watch this but on the other hand i'm a big fan of kevin smith and he's been promoting the idea if if you can do it make the movie you want to make because nobody else is going to make that movie <laughs> and if this is the movie the filmmaker wanted to make god bless him because nobody else was going to make that movie. <laughs> yes i will go with you there and it is amazingly technically competent the special effects are done on what i imagine a really really cheap a really nice it's it's a this is one of those things where you know you watch uh Brainiac or, or some of the other things. Uh, what was the first movie mm-hmm. we did? Bird. I want to say Bird. Bird And you can tell, like, somebody just – here, Bob, you hold the camera and point this way. The lighting was good. The costumes were good. The cinematography was good. Technically, this is really great mm-hmm. um, for a low-budget movie. But the, the themes and the ideas were so bizarre. And um, I want to recommend that people, uh, either afterwards or before, watch the short that it's based on, because there are significant differences between this and the short, indicating it was clearly run through the Hollywood machine, uh, wherein yeah, was no. wherein was added a wacky sidekick and all that. For such a weird independent movie, this is oddly cookie cutter. And yeah. uh, somebody yeah. had the ten point beat sheet, and, yeah. and like you said, tried to get there, but didn't have the the, the motivations or the, the the characters earning those beats <laughs> when they hit them. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, how did you get here? What is going on? So it's nice to be doing an indie movie. It's like, yeah, you know, some of these big budget movies are going to just fail and just suck. But it's neat to to dissect something that's truly weird. I, you can honestly say. If you've just been watching stuff on Netflix, you probably have not seen anything like this in a long, long time. So it's worth uh, the experience, at least. Yeah, you, you know, I would agree with that. You know, uh, ironically, you, you you talk about the Hollywood beat machine, and uh, a few years ago there was an animated film. It started out as a short uh, animated film, computer animated film called Six, about these weird little ragdolls trying to survive – um, in a room, and it eventually got turned into a feature film that was, I think, 
Tim Burton, Tim Burton executive produced it and brought in one of his standard writers. And ironically, when it became a feature film, it also got run through the Hollywood beat machine and it wound up a much lesser effort for that. So that was a little weird. Thing. Yeah, the, the original short actually of all things reminds me of like maybe a Shirley Jackson short story in the New Yorker in the sixties because <laughs> it has a dark ending yeah. and it knows where it's going. The, the short knows where it's going. The guy clearly had a distinct vision and yeah. went from A to B to C and worked. And you have to tell us how did the short get turned into a ninety-minute thing <laughs> with padding and other stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Hawk, your reaction. Well, what's funny is actually Kevin and Andrea hit every single beat that I wanted to hit. <laughs> but I'll add a few other things. First of all, it, it's really disturbing. Um, the whole aspect of um, freezing children in time as babies and then selling them off. Um, one of the plot points is that um, Yuri's father, Yuri, the main villain, his father finds the kids in the cabbage patch and he wants to he wants to raise them and preserve them and so he freezes them in order to do that uh, when it's time for the unfreezing uh, he and Yuri have a um, a fight um, and of course he dies and that is when Yuri comes upon the idea of selling the kids and then Patchtown is born essentially, that's the birth of Patchtown <laughs> The whole idea of freezing and then selling and then kidnapping them back and then turning them into slaves to farm out the whole process again is so, so creepy. It's disturbing. It's creep factor nine. And um, not like a little like horror movie creepy, not like the Shining creepy. Like, what's that guy over there doing in the trench coat creepy? You know, that just it just... I literally had to stop at one point. Uh, I got halfway through the film and I had to stop because emotionally I couldn't take it. Mm. It was overwhelming in that way, which is really amazing considering that um, there's almost no exposition. You have to figure this whole thing out yourself. You have to put the pieces together yourself. They put it in there, but they put it so disjointedly, you have to figure out how this all works by yourself. At some point I was thinking, well, maybe this was the filmmakers trusting you. And I'm like, no, they just threw that out there. <laughs> like spaghetti. They threw it against the wall to see what stuck. Um, the, um, you know, there's this whole lack of narrative flow. It just, things just happen. And you, okay, this happens. And now this happens and they don't feel linked. It's almost as if there's a series of independent stories happening every few minutes. Um, and if it's a musical, the whole concept of music in a musical is to move along the narrative. The music in this musical, it just serves to be music. <laughs> and at one point it tries to be self-aware because in the beginning he's singing and then the musical goes, employees prohibited from singing during the work hours. And I'm like, and then he keeps singing. And I just sat there and I'm like, oh, they're trying to be self-aware. Oh, how cute. 
And it's not really self-aware, because if it was self-aware, it would go, oh, God, we're creepy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the only people who sing for the first half of the film are John and Yuri. And Yuri doesn't sing so much as if anyone saw the live-action Peter Pan at NBC and saw uh, Christopher Walken singing. Oh, yeah. The kind of talking yeah. singing. Talking, it, it, it's, it's the Rex Harrison approach. This is exactly how Yuri sings. <laughs> he, he's just sort of talking to the music so that you can assume he's <laughs> singing. And I'm like, okay, um, are you going to actually sing? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, but a musical generally has multiple characters singing across the movie. And not just two. You know, um, you know, I sat there and I'm well, listening and I'm, I love, I love musicals. And so I'm sitting there thinking of some of my favorite musicals. I'm like 1776, uh, uh, Singing in the Rain. And I just sat there and went, hmm, you're no singing in the rain. <laughs> not, not even remotely close. Oh, you are so far from singing in the rain. I don't even know what you are because you sung several songs close together Really short songs, by the way. Not as not a full song, just almost a snippet, almost a commercial jingle length song. And um, actually, I should call it an extended commercial jingle. And um, you haven't moved a narrative along with any of this stuff. And uh, yeah, you've just finished one. You're gonna sing another, and then we won't hear another one for like fifteen, twenty minutes. Um, this, I don't. Oh. I, it, it almost feels like this movie doesn't know what it wants to be, mm-hmm. and it is the um, it is the crab boil of uh, of, of movies. Except, um, <laughs> not just these. It's the cabbage soup of movies. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Back off of the cabbage analogy. So. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> So we can't call this the stuffed cabbage of movies? Well, it, okay, okay, let me address that because the thing that, that Hawk said, uh, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense. The songs do not uh, – a, a lot of the songs do not advance the story and frankly the songs might advance the story a little more if 75% of them weren't just references to cabbage all the time. <laughs> You know, the, okay, the film is called Patch Town. Clearly, they're referencing the Cabbage Patch Kids. Not everything has to be compared to cabbages. By the way, I mean, I'm also trying to figure out why they used Patch Town Cabbage Patch Kids at an, when this was made in an era when the Cabbage Patch Kids are a uh, distant nostalgic memory. Well, basically, well, the, that that act, that is the one piece that actually does make a limited amount of sense to me. The Cabbage Patch boom has since faded. So now let's think about everyone who then got tired of their Cabbage Patch dolls 
And then what happened? This is a weird movie to target the forty-five-year-olds. <laughs> well, yeah. Here's here's the thing, and yeah, I wanted to ask you this: Who exactly is this film for? Yeah. Okay, because it it actually seems to me like they were actually thinking of this as being a holiday film. You know, they no. drag they they oh, God, drag no. Santa Claus into this. By the way, they drag Santa Claus into this. I didn't see any other sign that it was anywhere near Christmas. It snowed. It, it snowed in Patchtown. Yeah, there's snow in Patchtown, and that's that's about Patchtown. is supposed to be like the Russian gulag, anyway. So yeah, all the lettering is is in sort of semi-American Cyrillic. Isn't isn't there a sign at one point when they're approaching it? It's like Patchtown left. It's like North Pole right. Oh, really? Is is there? Yeah, I didn't I think, see I think that. Yeah, is it supposed to be set in? We don't, this is set in some weird fantasy, um, you know, Russo-American universe. Everybody speaks English. All the le- words are in English, but the lettering is you know, reversed R's and things like that. Well, the, 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 there is an opening film, uh, you know, which it, which is supposed to be this retro documentary um, uh, about the manufacture of these dolls, Patch Enterprises, the, uh, the company. There's this documentary about the company, and I think at some point the voiceover says something like, "Thanks to American ingenuity." Yeah, all the characters are all named Yuri and Gregor and yeah, Breath. yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Except it's, for it, John and Mary, it's it, it, it's very definite that it's all supposed to be uh, Soviet era um, iconography, which is absolutely odd because the. Director is directing this in German Expressionist style. So, oh, sorry. What year is this? I mean, what year was this movie made? This 2014. This, 2014. Okay. It was actually released in 2015. That's how I saw it. Because um, it's a Canadian film, by the way. It's a Canadian film. Yes. If you want to throw something else. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So apparently they drive from Soviet Russia because remember they escape. Mm-hmm. So apparently they drive from Soviet Russia. To somewhere in Canada? <laughs> they have Christmas in Canada? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, do but they, do they know it's Christmas? And- <laughs> yeah, but it, it takes place in like March, right? I mean, everybody's, the, the idea the idea that you could pitch this as a Christmas movie is like this is like on your your friends on Facebook who have their list of Christmas movies it begins with <laughs> Die Hard. <laughs> Yeah, this is this would fall into that. Yeah, because they dress up. John, once he's in the big city, dresses up as Santa along with his Indian buddy Sly. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're, they're, are they raising money? Are they supposed to be like Goodwill or something like that? No, they're not. They're not Goodwill. They're department store store Santas. I presumed they know. all need a they need a job because well. They have to survive. And that's the other thing. Apparently, Patchtown is a self-contained environment in which they, all the stuff can take place. And the people in Patchtown know nothing of the outside world. And the people in the outside world know nothing of what's inside of Patchtown. Well, that's true of a Soviet. You know, we'll look at North yeah. Korea. Yeah. Yeah. I well, think the trouble is that we're trying to apply logic to this. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I think that is the larger problem. You, you, well, you know, I, 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 I think one one of the other problems with this is is that the filmmakers try to apply logic uh, to this. One of the advantages of the short film 
over the feature film is that they didn't try to fill in the backstory in the uh, in the short film. You got the idea that they, you know, these were grown-up Cabbage Patch dolls who were slaves uh, on on this assembly line, and that was sort of it. Whereas the backstory here, I mean, we've talked about it already. You know, the whole thing about the uh, the toy maker finding the babies in the cabbages and then freezing them, and then when the girls abandon them, they get stolen back, and it. You know, my 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 analogy is, you know, in Toy Story, the concept is that the the toys come to life when there's nobody around and freeze when people actually come in. And they don't try to explain why that happens or how that happens. It just happens. And that's good enough. And I, I, I think one of the problems is here is they try to fill in too much of explaining the why and the how, whereas, whereas if they just said these are grown-up Cabbage Patch dolls and they, they are now slaves to the, uh, the company that made them, that would be enough. Um, you know, so... Uh, uh, well, the other thing that I thought of as as far as applying logic to this is that if you do start to apply the logic to that, think about this. We see the assembly line at the beginning. There are at least, I, I would say, a hundred people working, harvesting these uh, these Cabbage Patch dolls. And what what we see at least briefly is that being generous takes about a minute to harvest these uh these uh these little babies and so basically you know in in the span of one day there are thousands being harvested and then the the concept is they all go to little girls they all get abandoned and they all get brought back to patch town how is it that people can move around there if this is the cycle that's going on? Oh, God. Um. <laughs> there Wait, must does, be does, something does, else going on, which is even darker and Does the answer involve a giant mulch pile <laughs> well, yeah, that we didn't see? Yeah, it may be. One, one of the things I um, we're talking about with the... We're all talking about we all applied logic to this film. Yeah. But one of the things is sometimes I'm going to use an example of another film. Um, I'm a real big fan of John Wick, the action movie. Um, and one of the things in, in John Wick is that they've applied its own internal logic, wherein um, assassins, you have their own currency, they have their own language, they have their own backdoor deals, they have their own hotels, and so on and so forth. And they have their rules that they have to, to follow. The film consistently follows those conceits. It takes its own internal logic, creates an internal logic that is outside of our universe, establishes it in that universe, and then follows it. And yes, yeah, sometimes it breaks it, but for the most part, it follows it. The thing about this movie is it has no internal logic. Mm. And the absence of it is glaring. 
because it's just all over the map. And if they, you can do anything, even the most ridiculous thing, if you have uh, internal logic and you follow it. If your internal logic is that bubblegum gives people superpowers in the movie, and every time someone you see choose bubblegum and they get superpowers, and it doesn't matter what the superpowers are, as long as you follow that conceit, people will come along with you because you've established that bubblegum gives people superpowers. There's nothing like that here. The only thing they've established, really, from a a logic standpoint, is that there are some babies that come out of cabbages. And they get frozen. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they should have left it at that. They should have left it at that by attempting to fill in the gaps... Then you raise a whole bunch of other questions, and that was that was the problem for me. So, Dan, does that mean that you prefer the short film to the feature film? I'm not sure I do, actually. Yeah, we we should point out that the, at least the the beginning of the short film is the same footage used in the feature film. It's the exact same stuff. They recycled the opening of the short film. Uh, into the feature film. Uh, it diverges. They, they, there is one little moment in the short film where it diverges, where John is mugged by garbage pail kids, actually, which which is a cute idea that didn't get carried over to the film, which I think is a little unfortunate. Um, oh, was that what they were supposed to yeah, be? Yeah, that's what they were supposed to be. Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, in any case, but it, I, you know, it was actually my experience with the short film was similar to my experience with the feature film is that I felt it was starting out strong and then it lost its way, um, about halfway through and just sort of, you know, like Hawk was saying, let's throw some stuff on the wall. And so the, the the sad ending was there because you needed the sad ending there, um, but it, it really didn't play um, as you know as satisfactorily as it should have because frankly it didn't make much sense. But um, yeah, the I short mean- and the long version, John wants to go find his mother, so he comes to our world or Canada uh, and, and <laughs> find a whole her. other world to begin with. That's right. Come to the world next door. Canada, come and broaden your horizons. Remember oh, that campaign stop. from the eighties? Stop. Right. stop. Oh, that's why well, we have to cut that part out or else we're going to get ass cap. Okay. <laughs> wow. There's uh, been way more singing on this episode. Than <laughs> yeah. most of them. He does find her in, in both the short and the live action, live action. What? <laughs> the, full, the full scale version. Yeah. And then, yeah, in, in the short, you know, spoilers, basically the bad guys show up and tase him and drag him away. In the live action version, we get, uh, the Hollywood machine gives us a bad guys wanting to kidnap, kidnap the mom and her actual daughter. Child in peril. Woohoo. It's beat number six. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why do I why, forget? Why do they? Why do the? Why does the bad guys want the mother and the girl? 
It's because oh, oh, she's going to be the template. She's, she's going to be the template. The They're expanding the uh, the product line to adolescent dolls. Uh, and, I can't wait to see the third one before they have like nineteen year old. And yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Yuri is lonely. That's the oh, other that's thing. Right. He yeah. wants Bethany. With he the wants girl. Bethany, the, the girl's Mom. mother, and uh, John's. Uh, uh, mother, when she was a little girl, uh, yeah, he he wants Be- he wants Bethany as his lover, uh, Gross. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ew. And uh, he wants the little girl as a template, but in the process, the little girl is going to be destroyed. So, loads of laughs. Yuck it up, guys. That's right. <laughs> we didn't talk about re-education, which is jumping back to the beginning. Once you're found guilty of any sort of thought crime in this universe, they like put a an Oculus Rift thing on your face <laughs> and show you close-ups of we, – we don't know what, but it, it can burn your face and apparently it's extremely painful. Yes, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. yes. Oh, I have to talk about that, the whole re-education machine. <laughs> because there are a couple of beats from the re-education machine that don't make – well, <laughs> I keep using sense. the term don't make sense as what? if anything in this movie makes sense. Um, when um, lots of people have been re-educated by the end of the movie and, again, they remind you that this is a musical at the end by having these people cured by the music. But it's not just that they're cured by the music – it is an instantaneous. They hear a couple of bars and they're free. Like, yeah, it, it, it is gone. When, one, one, once again, do, do working up to a beat that they haven't rightfully earned. So, and it turns over so fast. They haven't earned it. It comes so fast. It's instantaneous. And then, at the end, they put Yuri in the re-education machine mm-hmm. himself. And I swear. And maybe it's just me. The closing shot is of him in the re-education machine, smiling. Not smiling a happy, I've been reprogrammed smile, but I'm still evil smile. Prepare yeah. for the sequel. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, you could not have thought you were doing another one of these. No. <laughs> I'm not sure it's that. I wanted to talk about that um, that ending because that actually bothered me a, a little bit. And the whole ending here again, it, 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 it's something that they did not earn. But you, you could see that, you know, they somebody had envisioned this as being, you know, like the real shoot for the moon sort of thing. You've got you've got this cacophony of action at the end. What what happens is that John and his friend Sly, who's who's the guy who smuggles the cabbage patch the grown up cabbage patch dolls out of Patch Town when they escape. Um, he becomes their friend and they go back to rescue Bethany, uh the mother, and I forget what the girl's name is. Um it, it, uh, hold. Hold on. I didn't write it down either. It shows you the impact yeah. this dramatic. Yeah. Has it was Bethany and do do do. I want to say Avery because that's Avery. Avery. Yes, you're yeah. right. It was Avery. Bethany and Avery, the girl, and so they go back in, and it's John and uh, his his wife Mary, 
and Sly go back in. And as Hawk mentions, um, Mary sings a song over the PA system to uh, uh, arouse the workers. And it's, it, it's really supposed to be like, as, as I say, this cacophony of action with people chasing down hallways and there are stampeding Santas because they recruit the, uh, the Santa Claus Corps to help invade Patchtown and free the workers. And there's this moving song and the workers rising up and the girl being rescued by the horrible fate. But, you know, when it comes down to that, when it comes down to the face-off between uh, uh, John and Mary and the entire crew there and Yuri and his minions... It's like they all gather. Uh, Avery is strapped into the machine. Somebody's about to hit the switch. And John shows up and basically says, hey, stop that. And that's where it ends. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, well, it's ended because that's the point where it's got to end. There, there really isn't any sort of dramatic catharsis from that moment. Uh, that you would think they would be building up to. The other thing about the ending, though, is that when they're facing down Yuri, uh, John essentially says to him, you know, you shouldn't be treating us like this. We're all family, and aren't you lonely? And Yuri starts crying and saying, yes, I'm lonely. And then there's a slam cut to him being strapped into the the brainwashing machine, and John asks, I, I, I forget, uh, the guy's name is Boss, I think. Um, it's played by Alan C. Peterson, who's another character. But John asks, is it going to hurt? And Boss says, yes, it's going to hurt. And my, my point here is, is that usually at that point where uh, uh, you know, where the characters who are the heroes talk to the bad guy about the fact, you know, that you're lonely, you know, we're, we're family and all of that. The characters are, the heroes are given the grace to forgive the bad guy or at least invite him in to being the family. This film completely throws that out the window. And that closing shot that Hawk was talking about is, yes, him b still being strapped into the machine uh, and being brainwashed. And whether the grin is the evil grin or just the brainless grin, uh, I read it as sort of the grin of somebody whose brain has been wiped. Um, the, the film cannot see its way to giving its heroes the uh, the grace to actually forgive the bad guy and that actually bothered me a little bit i don't know whether it it it, it landed on anybody else like that well it's not the traditional ending for a christmas movie yeah well yeah true there's true. no hugs no, you know no there's there are no, no hugs that's the point yeah yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a revenge fantasy it, yeah. yet again it, this film doesn't know what it wants to be yeah like, oh, um, look, the bad guy gets punished. <laughs> Great. Um, I, wa I wanted to talk about one other thing. Well, before that, I, I, I just wanted to say this. As far as, and we've noted this before, as far as the actors are concerned, the people performing this, 
they are actually tell me if I'm wrong in this. They are actually all quite good in in this. Um, you know, and they're and they're different looking, which is to say they're. Uh, new, new normal. Um, the characters are the leads are quite. Let's face it, they're profoundly large. Yeah, they're, they're over. This yeah. is this film was not, and they, as they are in the short film, this was. Yeah. It may have been run by some suits, but nobody got away with saying, "Could we make him look more like Brad Pitt?" <laughs> yeah, the, char- the characters are unusual looking. So, uh, yeah. They're on the large side. Maybe that's a reference to Soviet era things. Or so, it's a reference to the the chubby cheeks of Cabbage Patch dolls. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's also yeah. true. Yeah, those yeah. are very round dolls. Yeah, uh, yeah. For, for given given what they're provided, uh, they're decent actors. They're the, the singers are quite good. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, it's like the they're as good as the lighting and the costumes. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. If all of the props in these in this and this short are quite good, if only there was some substance behind it. Mm. So, I, I do want to point out one thing. As as you mentioned, Kevin, uh, everybody in the film are are non traditional casting, except that's good for one particular case when a character from the short film could have, if if, if it was brought through back from the short film to the feature film, could have been even more non traditional casting. Do uh, we talking about his wife? We're talking about his wife. That's right. Who, in the short, is a black lady. It's a black lady, which makes perfect sense because the Cabbage Patch dolls came in a wide variety of colors. There were dark-skinned ones with, with hair and things like that. Right. And I'm sure this was the first thing the suits and the Hollywood machines said. Ah, that's yeah. not going to work. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's good. yeah. Uh, we don't have to make her look like Angelina Jolie, but can we just you know make it uh, symmetrical and get us a white lady in here? <laughs> um. I liked. I actually liked her. I actually liked yeah, her. No, more. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you several things, and it, you know, it's not to really uh, slam uh, 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 Stephanie Pizzolatus, but the the woman from the the, the short film Toya Alexis, um, when she sings, that's actually her singing, and she's got a hell of a singing voice. Got some the the woman, uh, what is it? Stephanie Pizzolatus, I think it's fairly obvious she's being dubbed when she sings. I don't think that's her singing. I, I don't know, but it, whoever did the voice, it wasn't as good as the lady in the short. The lady in the yeah. short projected more emotion in her speaking. Too. She's, a much, she's just a much better actress. I, maybe it's the fact that she was the only person of color in the short, but when she was on screen, I was riveted. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. She 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 was very good and yeah I'm a little pissed at this because basically I do think it was uh, you know you, there could be any number of reasons why she didn't uh, get transferred over yeah. to the film. Maybe she was, I think, maybe she was busy. Maybe she was doing. Maybe something she else. was busy. I, although really, if you look at IMDb, she hasn't worked all that much. Mm. Maybe she was sick. Maybe she asked for too much money. But I think. In this case, Occam's razor sort of suggests that yeah, it was it, it was a market-driven thing. Yeah, she, wasn't often, uh, she wasn't off. She wasn't off in Hamilton, or uh, yeah. <laughs> or the background in uh, the new Birth of a Nation. No, she wasn't doing yeah. any of those things. No. no. So, <laughs> 
Yeah, but that, I, I think that that sort of adds to the reasons of why we actually do recommend watching the short film. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. just because actually, you sort yeah. of get to see you know some of the differences in the plot and some of the you know few actors that that did get changed, although most of the actors are the same. Mm-hmm. But also one of the reasons that I liked the short film better, I mean at least in one one thing in the in the pro um, column, was that. The musical numbers made up a larger percentage of the film. Mm. So the short film actually felt more like a musical. Yeah, yeah. I can, uh, I yeah, can yeah. see that. Yeah. I can see that. Let me, let me just ask quick about Sly. You know, this, this character, and this, this character drove me, uh, a, a little crazy. He's played by this actor, Suresh John. He's, you know, fortunately, Suresh John, I'm presuming, is an Indian actor, or, or, or at least he may be born in Canada, but he's, you know, uh, Indian by heritage, and at least they have him playing an Indian character in the film. But what the hell was this character supposed to be? He drives a truck. He is the coyote that that brings the the Cabbage Patch dolls in. He also appears to be a landlord, um, a Christmas elf working with with Santas, and particularly in this film with John. And at at the end, you know, he also puts the moves on Bethany. So apparently he's supposed to be, um, or he, he imagines himself a ladies' man, even though that really isn't established anywhere in the beginning of the film. So it, once again, it's like too much is loaded into one particular character here. Beat number two, wacky yeah. minority sidekick. Yeah, but... <laughs> that, that, wow. Those are all funny. It's funny that he thinks he's a ladies' man. Don't you see? It's funny that he has all these jobs. Dan, <laughs> namaste. Oh, wait a minute. There was, there was something funny in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> because, I, I mean, I, I, I saw bits where people tried to be funny. Yeah. Especially, especially, you release the henchman. Oh, Kenny? Kenny. Yeah. Kenny. Yeah. You know, Kenny tried to be funny a lot. Yeah. Kenny, th- Kenny was not funny. Kenny pulls off a hug. I'll just stand here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Kenny, uh, uh, well, 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 Kenny fondled Yuri. <laughs> he um, also has this thing about beet juice. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But look, in defense of the, the comic relief, I enjoyed Ken. You know, I, I enjoyed, uh, the, the wacky Indian sidekick guy. Um, I mean, still, not enough to actually laugh during the funny <laughs> yes. parts. But I enjoyed them. They helped to lighten my mood a little. Because the film was kind of dark and depressing. And if somebody did something kind of wacky and kind of funny, it like lifted me enough out of my misery to kind of bring me to baseline zero. Well, can, can so I, say, I, I appreciated the humor that there was. Yeah. Can I you say know, you, that, that you, you're absolutely right um, about, you know, something trying to lift you out of your misery? Because one of the other beats that's missed is that the uplifting parts do not work at all because the dark parts are so damn yeah. dark. It's like, all right, we're going to throw you in this deep, dark pit, and we're going to bring you up, but only halfway. <laughs> 
Enjoy your mid-level fall. Look, the dark the dark parts of this film are serious there's serious darkness about serious subjects. There's death, there's parenting, there's there's being denied the the ability to to have children. There's having children in secret. There's getting your children taken away from you. There's being, you know, thrown into the, you know, recycling or the mulch pit or whatever the hell happens <laughs> to them, you know, who are are punished. There's having the doohickey strapped on your head like, uh, I don't know, if it was more like, you know, 1984 or a clockwork orange. I mean, like, the dark stuff is super dark. So when somebody, it, like, makes, you know, makes a joke and says something funny and it's like, hey, you want a hug? I'm here for a hug. I'll hug you. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. I want to kill myself less now. <laughs> I, I, I actually did like Kenny, um, played by Ken Hall, by the way. Uh, and Yuri, you know, in terms of what those characters usually are, these guys handled it actually pretty well. I thought. I want to give you. I wanted to feed Yuri a sandwich for the entire movie because that guy is really pony. I was like, did did you eat? You know, did you? Did, oh, oh, what? No one's cheek should look like that. <laughs> Yuri and Kenny are the Mr. Burns and Smithers <laughs> of this film. <laughs> Nice analogy. Um, is there anything else uh, anybody wants to talk about with this film? I do. Okay. And- I went online to investigate whether or not the Cabbage Patch Company had sued the filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't find an answer. Wouldn't the Cabbage Patch Company have been kind of upset about this? Um, I mean, I, there's seen- so many cabbage references, and they're dolls, and it's called Patch Town. Yeah. And by the way, terms of endearment frequently used in this film, mon petit chou. Yeah. Mon petit chou is French for my little cabbage. By yeah. the way, also learned in French class when I was uh, young that uh, terms of endearment among the French included mon petit chou, my little cabbage, and mon petit vache, my little cow. Which proves that French people come up with some really bizarre terms of endearment, but that's sort of a side uh, point there. Um, and so I was like, okay, let me find out, you know, about the Cabbage Patch Company and how they reacted to this. And I looked all over IMDb to try to find out some information about this. Nothing. Do you know what happens when you look up this film on IMDb and you look up trivia? It's all trivia about cabbage. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. And it's I'm nice like, work, me, producers. Tell me nothing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for telling me that cabbage is considered Russia's national food. The, Thank the, you the, for telling me that February 17th is World Cabbage Day. <laughs> the, the most obscure film on IMDb, you look up the trivia and you get stuff like they shot for 18 months in, in Skokie, you know, and, you know, they, they, they used um, uh, Kodak reversal film, you know. This, yeah. There's only trivia about cabbages in that in, in in this. So on the plus side, I now know that Wisconsin produces more cabbage for processing than any other state yeah. in the US. What does well. that have to do with anything? <laughs> by by the way, the protections for satire are pretty robust in the United States. I'm not sure what it's like for Canada, but as far as the United States is concerned, uh um uh, first uh, satire is is you you can get away with a lot. For an example, if you've watched Saturday Night Live 
when uh, Bob Smigel was doing his TV funhouse things. He did stuff on Disney that had Mickey Mouse, the actual uh, – not n- – not uh, – not like uh, an altered version of it, the real Mickey Mouse uh, talking about Disney being an anti-Semite and being frozen and all of that. And they apparently got away with it. Uh, In this particular case, I think they were pretty much uh, protected because, yes, it's very obvious they're talking about the Cabbage Patch Kids, but in actuality, they never put the word cabbage and the word patch together but come on no no that that's enough that is enough to protect them if they don't say if they don't come out straight and say cabbage patch kids then they are pretty much protected well that would have been more helpful to me to know than the fact that victory cabbage was the (laughs) name created during world war one used to refer to sauerkraut (laughs) For one thing, uh, the the company that manufactured uh, the Cabbage Patch Kids, Coleco, doesn't exist. Ah, there you go. So, you know, and, uh, you know, the guy who actually created um, the Cabbage Patch Kids that Coleco bought the concept from, I'm not exactly sure where he is or if he even fucking cares at this point. He may not even know about it because, you know, you guys didn't know about this film. So, um, any anything anybody else wants to say about this film? No. Shall shall we go, in, uh, Kevin? Oh, yep, I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Let's move okay. on. To- okay, Let, let's move on to talk about what we learned from this movie. So, Andrea, start us off. Okay, so in addition to the fact that my long-standing fear of dolls coming to life is totally justified, it also turns out that my long-standing fear of coleslaw is totally justified. <laughs> Good. Kevin? Um, despite the Christmas time setting and the presence of dozens of Santas, I learned that the best way to deal with those who've done you wrong is to wreck a horrible, painful vengeance. <laughs> 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 Uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, ah, namaste. Um, if you find magical children in a cabbage patch, you don't get freaked out. You just raise them as your own. <laughs> um, Christmas doesn't exist, but Santa Claus does. Ooh. Andrea? It takes a special person to feel paternal instincts for something that came from the produce aisle. <laughs> <laughs> Beet juice, it does a body good. <laughs> uh, turning kids into dolls is an act of love. Uh, evil Russian overlords dress like snidely whiplash. Uh, we don't need no re-education. We don't need no thought control. <laughs> uh, the Russians, or at least people with Russian names, are still our enemies. <laughs> A more accurate line from Scott Thompson in this movie would have been, did the check clear? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A metaphor is when you compare anything on earth to a cabbage. (laughs) All right, and I just have one more. In Soviet Russia, cabbage (laughs) stops you. (laughs) 
You win. Great. You win whatever else. That's brilliant. That's my last one. My last one. Indians will apparently trick out any work vehicle you give them with bees and flowers and paint. Uh, uh, This is my last one. There simply aren't enough drugs in the world to make you understand this movie. (laughs) Okay. And uh, I've got a few more. Um, The Gulag is 25 miles outside of Toronto. Um, shadowing Kevin, by the way, an offering of true love will melt the heart of the cruelest man. But that doesn't mean we don't strap him into the brain-melting machine anyway. Yeah. And finally, she's a single mother, he's a trafficker in grown-up renegade Cabbage Patch Kids. Together, they solve crimes. They're Sly and the Beth. (laughs) I like that. Okay. And... Let's move on to the drinking game. Andrea? God. Uh, take a drink every time you are surprised by a musical number. Mm. Uh, take a drink anytime someone consumes or has consumed beet juice. Oh, and by the way, if you go to one of those fancy cold-pressed juiceries where you pay $10 for a glass of beet juice because it's healthy, you need to know beet juice is almost all sugar. You're better off just having a cherry Coke. <laughs> I learned something today. Wow. I I learned something and the drinking game at the same time. (laughs) Every time you hear Fuzzy Popo, take a drink. (laughs) Um, Every time you see the camera pull back from the factory, followed by a lateral track to the left, take a drink. It's a a lovely special effect (laughs) if you do it at least twice. Uh, Uh, Andrea's up. Yeah, well, um, this is not done at least twice. This is done at least a gazillion times, so get ready to uh-huh. um, say goodbye to your liver. <laughs> Take a drink every time you see a cabbage. Mm. <laughs> I'm now dropping the mic and stepping yeah, away. I, <laughs> right, I had take a drink every time somebody says cabbage. Ah, I'm going to I'm going to go with take a drink every time somebody has a black hood put over their head. Oh, oh that's pretty good. Yeah. Every time you immediately forget the words to a song that was just sung, take a drink. Mm. Every time it appears David Lynch guest directed a day of this, take a drink. I just have one more. Take a drink every time you feel unexpectedly sad while watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> take a drink every time Sly says namaste. <laughs> Take a drink every time Yuri, air quotes, sings. <laughs> every time you think, I'd be moved by this character's fateful decision if only the film bothered to make me care about him to begin with. Then take a drink. Ouch. Uh, last one. Take a drink every time you see a bare male belly. Wow. There's a few. Every time you feel creepy... And you need to feel better. Take a drink. <laughs> well, that, that's just generally true. <laughs> you know, I'm, what I'm having right now actually is half tra- uh, Trader Joe's Arnold Palmer and half Old Granddad. <laughs> and what I do on winter nights is I microwave it with a cinnamon stick. It's actually pretty good. Mm. Wow, that sounds delightful. I might need to swap that out from my coffee with a shot of Bailey's in it. <laughs> um, queuing um. off of uh, Hawks, 
Every time you wonder if Scott Thompson owed Craig Goodwill a favor, take a drink. And Hawk, do you have? Do you have? Everybody else is out. I'm out. I, I have one. I have one okay. last one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Every time Kenny tries to be funny, <laughs> take a drink. <laughs> and I have one more. Every time you think about all the cabbages wasted on this instead of going to feed people, make a donation to City Harvest. That is it for Patchtown. Turned out better than I could ever have imagined. So thank you for that. Uh, Hawk, it is your turn to choose the film for the the next show. So what have you got for us? I'm going to have to do this in my movie trailer voice, so excuse me while I drop my voice an octave. They wanted a white Christmas, but this isn't what they bargained for. Chilling out isn't an option in Ice-tastrophe. <laughs> what the... Wow! Wow! Okay, that's a new one on me, too. Never no, just made that up. <laughs> Never heard of it. In the tradition of taking two words... And putting them together <laughs> to make some sort of natural disaster. We have ice catastrophe. That's what they should have called what we're having in DC this week. Okay. Wait a minute. That's... You mean Christmas ice ice catastrophe? No, just ice catastrophe. Just ice catastrophe. <laughs> okay, that's that's the second greatest title I've ever heard. The the first greatest title I've ever heard, which is an actual film, Deathgasm. Oh, shut up, please. <laughs> oh, no, I see. It is, okay, it is on uh, IMDb. On IMDb, it shows up as Christmas Ice-tastrophe. Christmas Ice-tastrophe. Okay. But if you look it up, it says also known as Ice-tastrophe. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't mixing it up with any other Ice-tastrophes out there. <laughs> is there like Tori Spelling in this or what? Who is, who is, is this a sci-fi sounds, channel? It sounds like My that. God. All right, Hawk, tell us about the movie. <laughs> um, well, remember how we had Sharknados? <laughs> yeah, 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 I remember that. Yes, we now have Ice Tastic. It's basically a low-budget um, day after tomorrow. Okay. Is it, is it the asylum? Um, I do not know, but okay. it probably is. It sounds <laughs> like so the much. asylum. Uh, okay. Um, so, uh, yes... But I, it caught my eye, if only because uh, it's just two words mashed together to make a title of a film. Uh, I, I, I'm like, you know, one day, let, let's. I'm looking at two things, and let's see, um, uh, tissue paper, um, tissue paperalism. <laughs> you got to work on it more, Hawk. Yes. Yes. All right, production companies are Sintel Films, Real One Entertainment, and Ice Cap Pictures Incorporated. Ah, okay. It does Nazi. say it was distributed through Sci-Fi. Okay. Yeah, okay. This sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was this a movie movie, or did it just air on Sci-Fi? I believe – I'm not even sure this aired on Sci-Fi. <laughs> well, it was listed as having been distributed by Sci-Fi. By Sci-Fi. It Maybe probably it aired never- on, 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 on Sci-Fi. It was probably – when 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 um the the thing about uh uh Sharknado in those films is that uh sci-fi contracted with the asylum to generate films specifically for them 
Okay, Wikipedia page says first aired in, on Sci-Fi on December twentieth, yeah. twenty fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Uh, okay. Oh, and, and so it is a Christmas movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if this movie will be more Christmassy than this movie. <laughs> I want to hug the glacier. <laughs> it wouldn't have to try very hard. Pretty yeah. much all the hey, it's Christmas, and it wins. Yeah. Our our duty is clear. Before we go, Andrea, do you want to bring us up to date on what's going on over at BeABetterBookTalker.com? Oh, sure. Uh, Please visit uh, BeABetterBookTalker.com. Check out the blog. Check out the podcast. Learn how to entice the reluctant teen and child readers in your life, and you are always going to find some awesome reading recommendations there. And Kevin, stuff going on at kevinlauderdale.livejournal.com or, and or Chronic Rift? Uh, lots of links to the other podcasts I do. I'm a frequent guest on the Chronic Rift's uh, like Batman 66 podcast and other stuff like that. And every couple of weeks I do presenting the transcription feature wherein I unearth uh, some great classics of old-time radio, present a few cultural annotations around them. They're great to listen to when you're commuting or you're gardening or you're doing the dishes. Stop on and by. And that's over at chronicrift.com. Right? .com and, and I always provide links to them from kevinlauderdale.livejournal.com. Okay, yep. cool. And Hawk, what's going on over at multimediumrare.com? Well, I am actually writing, I actually recently wrote about my um, journey through the 100 push up challenge, which is something I'm actually doing right now. I am in uh, week three of the 100 push-up challenge, and the goal at the end of this is to be able to do 100 push-ups um, in a row. Um, and considering I started at 10, um, um, that's going to be quite a journey, but I am doing push-ups pretty much every other day um, in ex- ever-expanding sets, and I've just documented my journey and exactly why I'm undertaking this really incredibly what may look on the outside to be an incredibly dumb endeavor <laughs> well honey more power to you and hey if you're doing that right now you, it's pretty good you don't sound winded at all yeah i actually was doing push-ups <laughs> while you were talking <laughs> <laughs> that that's interesting because i'm actually going through the 100 chicken wing challenge <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where I build my upper arm strength by uh, by flapping my arms like a chicken. What did you think I meant? <laughs> I thought you were eating a hundred chicken. Wings. <laughs> by the way, I would join you in that one. <laughs> I'm hard at work on five k to couch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, as for me, well, for one thing, you should all know that. Um, Every episode of Temple of Bad does show up on templeofbad.com. You can always find us there. And if you want to hear my movie reviews, uh, mostly of much, much better films, not always, but most frequently, you can hear me every week on Hour of the Wolf, which which airs every Thursday morning at 1.30 a.m., on WBAI 99.5 FM. Or you can go to WBAI.org to listen to uh, the live stream or to delve into the archive and find the shows there. So there are lots of ways to get to it. 
And that will be it for uh, the show. Andrea, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. Kevin, thank you. The sequel, Corned Beef Town. (laughs) (laughs) And now he drops the mic. (laughs) Hawk, thank you as well. Oh, oh, um, I'm not sure I'm that grateful for being here, but uh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and I'm Dan Persons, your host and producer. Let me just point out that the music is by Brad Sucks at bradsucks.net. And until next time, may a bad film be the worst thing to happen to you. It's the same thing.